Hello, this is Helga Edwards, and I'm here with my husband, Bob. Genesis chapter 40 tells the story of Joseph's imprisonment as a result of being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. In prison, Joseph demonstrates that he is able to interpret dreams with the help of God. By interpreting dreams, he correctly predicts that the king of Egypt's baker will be put to death in three days but the king's wine steward will be exonerated. Later, the king has a dream that he would like interpreted. The wine steward remembers Joseph, who is brought out of prison and asked to interpret the king's dream. We will read this account found in Genesis chapter 41, verses 1 to 41, from the Good News Translation, today's English version. Beginning at verse 1. After two years had passed, the king of Egypt dreamed that he was standing by the Nile River, when seven cows, fat and sleek, came up out of the river and began to feed on the grass. Then seven other cows came up. They were thin and bony. They came and stood by the other cows on the river bank, and the thin cows ate up the fat cows. Then the king woke up. He fell asleep again and had another dream. Seven heads of grain, full and ripe, were growing on one stalk. Then seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the desert wind. And the thin heads of grain swallowed the full ones. The king woke up and realized that he had been dreaming. In the morning he was worried, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. He told them his dreams, but no one could explain them to him. Then the wine steward said to the king, I must confess today that I have done wrong. You were angry with the chief baker and me, and you put us in prison in the house of the captain of the guard. One night each of us had a dream, and the dreams had different meanings. A young Hebrew was there with us, a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us. Things turned out just as he said. You restored me to my position, but you executed the baker. The king sent for Joseph, and he was immediately brought from the prison. After he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came into the king's presence. The king said to him, I have had a dream, and no one can explain it. I have been told that you can interpret dreams. Joseph answered, I cannot, your majesty, but God will give me a favorable interpretation. The king said, I dreamed that I was standing on the bank of the Nile when seven cows, fat and sleek, came up out of the river and began feeding on the grass. Then seven other cows came up, which were thin and bony. They were the poorest cows I have ever seen anywhere in Egypt. The thin cows ate up the fat ones, but no one would have known it because they looked just as bad as before. Then I woke up. I also dreamed that I saw seven heads of grain which were full and ripe, growing on one stalk. Then seven heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the desert wind, and the thin heads of grain swallowed the full ones. I told the dreams to the magicians, but none of them could explain them to me. Joseph said to the king, The two dreams mean the same thing. God has told you what he is going to do. The seven fat cows are seven years, and the seven full heads of grain are also seven years. They have the same meaning. 
the seven thin cows which came up later, and the seven thin heads of grain scorched by the desert wind, are seven years of famine. It is just as I told you. God has shown you what he is going to do. There will be seven years of great plenty in all the land of Egypt. After that, there will be seven years of famine, and all the good years will be forgotten, because the famine will ruin the country. The time of plenty will be entirely forgotten, because the famine which follows will be so terrible. The repetition of your dream means that the matter is fixed by God, and that he will make it happen in the near future. Now you should choose some man with wisdom and insight and put him in charge of the country. You must also appoint other officials and take a fifth of the crops during the seven years of plenty. Order them to collect all the food during the good years that are coming and give them authority to store up grain in cities and guard it. The food will be a reserve supply for the country during the seven years of famine which are going to come on Egypt. In this way, the people will not starve. The king and his officials approved this plan, and he said to them, We will never find a better man than Joseph, a man who has God's spirit in him. The king said to Joseph, God has shown you all this, so it is obvious that you have greater wisdom and insight than anyone else. I will put you in charge of my country, and all my people will obey your orders. Your authority will be second only to mine. I now appoint you governor over all Egypt. Here ends our reading of Genesis 41, verses 1 to 41. As strange as it may seem, some patriarchal theologians incorrectly believe that Genesis 41, verse 32, reveals a general principle about God that always holds true. John Calvin expressed this principle in his commentary on the passage. He claimed, God pronounces nothing but from his own fixed and steadfast purpose. In other words, God can predict the future because everything that takes place on earth does so as a result of God's decree. Unfortunately, this inaccurate overgeneralization has done significant harm to women. In the story of Egypt's famine, Joseph correctly explains that God knows what is about to happen because God himself will bring it to pass. This is reiterated in Psalm 105, verse 16, which states, The Lord sent famine to their country. It was God's plan to bring about seven years of abundance, followed by seven years of hardship. He warned the king through a prophetic dream so that preparations could be made by Joseph, who would then be elevated to a position of power in Egypt. Unfortunately, on the basis of this passage, influential patriarchal theologians have generally assumed that God always knows the future because he himself directly causes every event that takes place on planet Earth. They believe this even includes humanity's fall into sin. Just to be clear, this means that these patriarchal theologians believe that humanity's fall into sin was God's original plan for the human race. John Calvin put it this way, quote, The decree, I admit, is dreadful, and yet it is impossible to deny that God foreknew what the end of man was to be before he made him, and foreknew because he had so ordained by his decree. End of quote. 
and this is found in the Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 3, Chapter 23, Paragraph 7. John Calvin also believed that the subjugation of the first woman to male authority was similarly decreed by God. He thought that her initial subjection would have been gentle, but that after her role in humanity's fall, she would be harshly cast into servitude. All of this in the mind of John Calvin was part of God's original plan. His exact words were, quote, Thus the woman, who had perversely exceeded her proper bounds, is forced back to her own position. She had indeed previously been subject to her husband, but that was a liberal and gentle subjection. Now, however, she is cast into servitude. End of quote. And that's John Calvin's commentary on Genesis chapter 3. Calvin bases his belief that female subjection is an expression of God's will on a fundamental misinterpretation of two verses found in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 and Genesis chapter 3 verse 16. Genesis 2.18 reads as follows in the Common English Bible. It is not good that the human is alone. I will make him a helper that is perfect for him. Calvin interpreted the word helper, used here of Eve, to mean that she was Adam's subordinate assistant. We read that in Calvin's commentary on Genesis chapter 2. What Calvin evidently did not realize is that the word helper used to describe Eve, is used frequently to describe other sources of help throughout the Bible. It is used to describe military powers that the Israelites turn to for help, and it is used frequently to describe God as a help to his people. We find one such verse in Psalm 33 verse 20, which reads, For the Lord, he is our help and our shield. The word help that is used of God and Eve has nothing whatsoever to do with being subordinate in either context. It is also important to recognize what Eve was created to help Adam with. Eve was created to help Adam by sharing dominion over all the earth. In other words, she was created to rule with him over God's creation, as seen in Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 to 28. This is not the language of subordination. Eve was created to help Adam by ruling at his side. So where did Calvin get his idea about a hierarchical relationship between Adam and Eve? He tells us elsewhere in his commentary on chapter 2 that this is what, quote, nature itself taught Plato, end of quote. This is an important revelation. John Calvin reveals to us that his understanding of the creation account found in the book of Genesis was influenced by his understanding of Plato's philosophy. Throughout Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, he also tells us that his view of scripture was largely shaped by the theology of a 4th century Roman bishop named St. Augustine. Like Calvin, Augustine also tells us in his confessions that he used the books of the Platonists as an interpretive guide to the Bible. Some of these influential books were called the Enneads, and they were written by a non-Christian philosopher named Plotinus. Plotinus taught that God created both good and evil. 
In other words, evil, even human sin, was a result of God's decree. Plotinus also compared women to Pandora of Greek mythology. In this myth, a woman named Pandora opened a box that released all forms of evil into the world. Plotinus believed that the emotional impulsivity of women needed to be controlled by the allegedly rational nature of men. He compared women to the evils of the flesh and men to the virtues of the spirit. We read echoes of Plotinus' belief system in St. Augustine's commentary on Genesis 2, verse 23. The verse itself reads, At last, here is one of my own kind, bone taken from my bone and flesh from my flesh. Adam is overjoyed that he now has a companion that is, unlike the animals, one of his own kind. St. Augustine's commentary on this passage, however, significantly changes its meaning. He wrote, quote, Flesh, then, is put for woman, in the same manner that spirit is sometimes put for husband. Wherefore, because the one rules and the other is ruled, the one ought to command, the other to serve. And that's found in St. Augustine's tractate number 2, paragraph 14 on John. Strongly influenced by Augustine's thinking, John Calvin similarly wrote, Let the woman be satisfied with her state of subjection, and not take it amiss that she is made inferior to the more distinguished sex. And that is found in Calvin's commentary on 1 Corinthians chapter 11, another passage of scripture that Calvin badly misunderstood. John Calvin also misunderstood Genesis chapter 3 verse 16. In this verse, God explains to Adam and Eve what will happen to them as a direct result of their own choice to listen to the serpent rather than following God's directions. He tells them that Eve will turn towards her husband, but that as a result of sin entering the world, Adam will now rule over her. God's pronouncement here is predictive. In other words, God accurately predicts how sin will influence male and female relations. John Calvin, however, believed that all of God's prophecies were prescriptive. If God foretold it, then it must be God's will. This is a tremendous and harmful error. The belief that God's decree brought about humanity's fall and women's subjugation cannot be found in the pages of the Bible. Rather, it has been projected onto the Bible by men who had already learned to view the world through the patriarchal lens of ancient Greek philosophy. The Bible does not compare men to the spirit and women to the flesh. St. Augustine merely thought he saw that in the Bible because he already believed it to be true. As psychologist David G. Myers explains in his text Psychology, 8th edition and modules, deeply held beliefs and prejudices can distort our perception of reality. The Bible does not tell us that God made Eve to be Adam's subordinate assistant. John Calvin only thought he saw that in the Bible because he already believed it to be true. Similarly, 
The Bible does not tell us that God is able to share foreknowledge of future events only because he himself will cause them all to happen. This notion comes from the non-Christian Enneads of Plotinus, not the pages of scripture. The Enneads state, quote, evil has its origin in the all, Plotinus concept of God, and without it, the all is incomplete, for most or even all forms of evil serve the universe, much as the poisonous snake has its uses, though in most cases their function is unknown. Vice itself has many useful sides." Unquote. In contrast, listen to what God himself says of those who may plan to attack his people in the future. Quote, if anyone does attack you, it will not be my doing. Unquote. The King James says it this way, Quote, Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Unquote. And that's found in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 15. Others will attack Israel, God foretells, but it will not be God's doing. Though God warned Joseph of an impending famine that he himself would bring about, this does not mean that every prophecy is a reflection of God's will. Sin was never God's plan for human beings. Sin, by definition, is a violation of God's will. The book of James tells us to not even associate temptation with God. Quote, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows." Unquote. We find that in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. Do not be deceived, James warns us, yet many theologians have been deceived, and they have passed this deception down through the ages, even to many of today's complementarian preachers. Complementarian leader John Piper says, quote, God decrees all things, even all sins, unquote. In his article, Is God Less Glorious? because he ordained that evil be. Following John Calvin's misinterpretation of Genesis 3.16, a former president of the Patriarchal Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and one of the leaders of the New Calvinist movement, Owen Strachan claimed, Eve, quote, will desire her husband's role, which means he will have to fight to rule over her, unquote. This can be found in Strachan's article, Genesis Gender and Ecclesial Womanhood. Genesis 3.16 says nothing in any language about Eve desiring her husband's alleged role, and it certainly does not encourage Adam to fight to rule over her. God's prophecy in Genesis 3.16 is predictive, not prescriptive. Do not be deceived. Everything that comes from God is good. Anything that is evil is a violation of God's will. 
humanity's fall was not a result of God's decree, nor was the unjust subjugation of women to male authority. Both are a result of human choices to turn away from a God of love and his good plans for his creation.